Baptist Church, how's everybody doing? You hear me okay? All right, welcome to First Baptist. My name is Matt Brocker. I am not Jeff. Um, I, I actually just got an email, a text message from Jeff about 38 minutes ago that he's doing good. He's praying for me, so I thought that was really cool. Uh, so he's alive and well on the other side of the world. Let's keep praying for him. Uh, like Todd said, that they would stay healthy. Um, I was talking to Erla. She said that he's preaching a whole lot more than anticipated. So pray for him to get some rest. Pray for him to, uh, to be able to do that, you know, in the power of the Spirit, and that, you know, God is glorified through what they're doing over there in Malawi, Africa. <clears throat> um, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we'll be in chapter 2 again today, so if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, Jeff, last week, uh, took us all the way up to verse 8, and uh, we're going to continue on there. We're going to finish the, the chapter this morning, so go ahead and be turning there. Um, as, as you're turning there, I just want to talk about a little phrase that we have. We talk about getting into somebody's mind. You guys ever heard that phrase? You want to think like somebody else thinks? You say, well, we got to get inside of their head. you got to get inside of their mind. Um, there's a, a television show called Criminal Minds, right? And so the purpose of the show is to, to figure out how the criminals think. you got to get inside their mind so that you know what kind of things they're going to do next so that you can catch them. Right? We don't watch that show at my house. It gives us bad dreams, that show. Okay, that's scary, because there's crazy people out there, and they do criminal things, okay? So we don't watch that show. Uh, another example would be uh, when my wife and I were in the, the children's ministry. We were in the first, second, and third grade classes for about nine years, and man, every once in a while, a kid would come in who just wouldn't listen to anything right? You know, they talk out of turn, they're, they're running around the room when you're trying to do something, and man, you, then, then you find out, man, there's some home life stuff going on, right? That's why they've got no attention span. That's why they're giving me grief. That's why I don't know what to do with them. So, so what I have to do is I've got to get inside of their mind, in a sense, right? I've got to start thinking like they think. I've got to understand what filters they're looking through so that I can help them see the way God sees them, right? Help them see themselves, help them understand their situation through God's eyes. I get into their mind, I can help them understand the mind of Christ, right? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Another example would be uh, my wife and I, right? I, I'm supposed to dwell with her according to knowledge as a husband. Man, when we first got married, I did, and I probably still do, I did a terrible job of that. I was just so dumb and happy that I had married way out of my league, that, that I was just like, I don't know what to do now, right? I threw all the chips in ahead of time, and now I, just, I don't know what to do, and, and so now I'm learning. We're going we're gonna to celebrate 15 years this year, which is awesome. Praise the Lord for sure. Uh, 15 years of figuring out how to get into my wife's mind so that I can understand how to, how to communicate to her how much I love her. And she's, she's on the other side of the wall watching kids today. So, man, what a, what a blessing. What an awesome wife I have. But i got to get inside of her mind if I'm going to understand how she ticks, if I'm going to understand how to communicate to her, if I'm going to understand how she thinks. Today we're going to look at getting into the mind of Christ. We've been in the, 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 the book of 1 Corinthians for several weeks now, and we've seen a couple different recurring themes already. 
The first one is, is that we, the community, the body of Christ, is better than me, the individual Christian. God did not create the church to be a one-man or a one-woman show. If you're going through life with Christ all alone, you're missing, you're missing the rest of the body, right? You're missing out on a lot. And so the point is that there's tremendous power, there's tremendous, tremendous growth and opportunity in the community of the body. All right, another theme that we've seen is that this world's wisdom is in stark contrast of God's wisdom, right? And we've seen that last week. We saw that in chapter one. Uh, we're going to see that again today. Last week we saw, and, and today we sang, about the simple gospel, the beauty of the simple message of Christ. Uh, we also saw that we have a responsibility as Christians not to stop there. Right? We, we start with the, the simple message that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again victorious. And that alone is our gift for salvation. Right? That's a simple message. And anybody, any one of us can share that. And we've got a saying around here that, that each one reach one. Right? We want each one of us to, to make an effort to go out into the community to talk to our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors. And we each one want to reach one of them with the gospel. And we have a saying in the well, and they know where I'm going with this. How are you going to each one reach one if you don't preach, son? How are you going to each one reach one if you don't preach, son? There's a simple message that Jesus Christ came to deliver us from the penalty of our sins. And we all have the responsibility to share that message with somebody else. All right, so let's continue to do that. But, but we as Christians, we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, as a reminder, he says, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught or come to nothing. Right? We saw that the wisdom of this world ends in emptiness. But we're supposed to speak wisdom. We don't stop at the simple gospel. And so we have the opportunity to get into the mind of Christ. We have the opportunity to learn so much more. We actually have the responsibility to learn a whole lot more, and that's what we're going to look at today. So let's go ahead and read the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then we'll get into the notes. If you came in on your bulletin, if you open that up, there's some notes you can follow along as we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let me get a drink before we start reading here, sorry about that. He says in chapter 2, verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into the notes you have in front of you. Lord, thank you so much for your word. 
Thank you that we're going to see that your word is that very mind, the mind of Christ. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes. I pray that you open our ears. Lord, I pray that you soften our hearts with your word today. Lord, I pray that whatever it is you have to teach us from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that, that we be receptive to that, Lord. We pray that you would speak, that we would listen and obey. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the first thing we see when we look at this passage is that while we may have access to the mind of Christ, there are certainly some others that do not, right? He starts off in, in verse 9 showing us that the first point for study this morning is that God has hidden wisdom from this word, world. Excuse me. God has hidden some of his wisdom from this world. And letter A, man, God can keep a secret. God has the ability to keep a secret. How many of you have that friend or that relative that you don't tell important things to? Right? They're probably not sitting beside you, right? So that's fine. But, but we all have somebody in our life that, man, if it's important, if it's timely, if I'm just not telling that person. Right? And they'll find out when they find out, and, and they'll be mad at me for not telling them, but it's their fault, right? They can't keep, can't keep a secret. See, I got plenty of great all stories. I worked there for 17 years. One of my great all stories is that, man, did those guys like to gossip in the shop, right? They liked a good scoop. And so we had a saying in our office, um, we'll just call those guys Jimmy, just to protect the guilty. And, and Jimmy, we, we had a saying about Jimmy in the office that, man, there's three ways to broadcast a message to the shop floor. Right? The, f- the first way you broadcast the message to the shop floor, you can use a television. Right? And, th- and they could show those guys whatever message. Or you can get up on the phone and you can talk to the whole, they got the speakers, so you could, you could use a telephone. Or you could tell a Jimmy. <laughs> right? You could tell a vision, telephone, tell a Jimmy, because you know Jimmy's going to tell everybody else in the building what he just found out. Right? He can't keep a secret, but God can keep a secret. Makes me think of my kids, too. I got one in here. She's a good secret keeper. She likes a good surprise. Her sister, however, man, if she knows some information, you're going to know some information too. <laughs> right? And, and it was so handy when she was wee little, she would come running in, Dad, look what I broke. Dad, look what I did. You know, she would tell on herself she couldn't keep a secret for nothing. Right? And she's kind of still that way. She's sweet, but she, and she's very honest. You just don't tell her until, you know, something's about to happen. You, you can't tell her ahead of time. God isn't like that, right? God can keep a secret. If you think about it, those mysteries that Jeff talked about last week, how long has God been keeping those mysteries since he knows the end from the beginning? He's been keeping secrets since way before we came along. But eternity passed. How long does that go? It keeps going, right? Look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the, into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Look at how Paul words this and ask yourself, what is it that eyes see and ears hear and enters into the heart of man? It's words, right? It's kind of simple. It's, it's God's words that he's referring to. God has been keeping certain aspects of his word secret for a long time. Last week we saw that, that God has given the church those seven mysteries to keep. 
Those mysteries have, have been now revealed. They before were concealed. Beforehand, God was keeping those close to his chest. And he says here that, or through Paul, that there are secrets that he's keeping from man, that he's revealed to us. If we look back in uh, verse 7, from last week, he says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Sometimes it's just not time to know it yet. But we live in that time. We know some stuff, right? If you look at verse 9 again, at the very beginning, he says, As it is written. Anytime you see a phrase like this, the writer is referring back to something that happened or something that was written way back in the Old Testament. All right, and specifically this time, Paul's referring to Isaiah 64, verse 4, and it says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. All right, so back when this prophecy was written, the prophets were waiting for the coming of Christ, the first coming. Right? They, were, they were looking forward toward the coming of Christ. They didn't really understand what they were prophesying because God was keeping most of it a mystery. They just had some words that God told them to say, so I'll say what God told me to say. I don't exactly know what it means. Paul writes it differently because he's writing from a completely different perspective. He says that there are things that God has prepared for those that love him. In other words, we're not waiting for him. We already know him. We have him. And as a matter of fact, we have a love relationship with him. What an incredible promise. What a different perspective from what Isaiah had. Notice also from Isaiah's perspective that God can only perceive the secrets. We'll get into this in a few minutes, but, but right now we have access to those secrets as well. Right? Those of us that love him and know him. Back when Isaiah was speaking this and he was writing it down, he, he couldn't see it. It was still a secret. There was another time when Isaiah talked about God keeping secrets from mankind, and that's in Isaiah chapter 6. He says in verse 10, Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Now this sounds like, man, what a terrible thing for God to, to do to man. But this was in response to Israel's pride. Right? Israel had become sinful, and prideful, and worshiping idols, and following other gods. Israel had turned its back on God, and God's response was, okay, well then, you're going to have a hard time hearing what I have to say. You resist me in pride, I resist you right back. We saw that in James chapter 4, verse 6, he says, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You resist God in your pride, his reaction to you is the same. You don't want to hear me? Okay, done deal. You won't. Jesus uses the same method in, in, the, in the Gospels. If you look in Matthew chapter 13, this is where Jesus turns a corner from giving instruction to the Pharisees. They've got all kinds of questions, they've got all kinds of doubts, and then they come to Christ and he gives them an answer, and they, they, they have a counter-answer, right, or a counter-question. And, and finally, Jesus turns the corner, and he starts speaking in parables. And a parable is just a, a physical story that has hidden spiritual meaning, right? And, and in verse 9 of chapter 13, he says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He had just finished the first one. 
He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I unto them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, or Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and by seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Jesus quotes it a little bit different from the way it was worded in the beginning, right? In Isaiah, it was worded that God closed their ears and their eyes. Well, they did it first, didn't they? They responded to God in pride. They rejected the Lord and he said, okay, right back at you. I reject you back. You will not get my word. You will not understand it. If we look down in verse 34 of, of Matthew chapter 13, he says, All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Stephen in Acts 7 he quotes the same thing. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. See, this verse is, is from a passage where Stephen is taking the, the leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, he's taking them through a short history of their past to prove to them that they have just crucified the Messiah they have claimed to be waiting for. And their response to him is that they pick up stones and start hurling those stones at him. And they stone him to death because their pride has kept them from being able to hear God's word just like their forefathers. Paul talks about the exact same passage in Acts 28, verse 27. He says, For the heart of the people was waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Paul spent an entire day talking to the leaders of Israel in Rome. Paul's in prison in Rome. The leaders came to him to receive instruction. They wanted to know why this guy was here. They had heard some rumblings. We want to hear for ourselves. And some of them begin to believe, and others still resist, and they start arguing. And Paul drops this verse. And when he drops this passage, he, he clears the room. Everybody walks away in their pride. God knows the pride in our hearts. If we approach him that way, he will resist, and his mind will remain a mystery. We will still not know what the mind of Christ holds. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, back to our passage for this morning, verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? You don't know what I'm thinking, because... I'm thinking it. Unless I think it out loud, <laughs> it's still in my mind. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. A man without God's Spirit residing within him is disconnected from God's revelation. That's quite obvious. Man, I can remember sitting down, reading my Bible when I was younger, before I had given my life to Christ, and being like, I don't know what any of this is even talking about. 
So I would go to stories that I was familiar with. I would look up Matthew because, you know, that's my name. That's a cool place to start. And I would, I would read these stories that I had learned as a kid, and I'm, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's going on here. Right? I wanted to know some things, but I didn't want God interfering in my decision-making process. So I kept him at a distance. So he kept me at a distance. And I couldn't understand what he had to say. I would see things like 2 Thessalonians 1.8, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that's scary. If I don't obey the gospel, if I don't choose Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, man, I'm going to be judged for that. And that judgment's eternal. That's scary. I want that fire insurance, but I don't want that guy telling me how to live my life. And that was my response. And so God's response to me was, well, then you can't hear it yet. You're not ready because you're still prideful. I was, I was the fool in James chapter 1, verse 22. It says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You see, I wanted to hear it. I wanted to know it, but I didn't want to obey. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, looking in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. You see, I would, I would look at this book and I would read these stories and, and God was trying to show me who I am in light of who he is and how much I needed him as Savior and I just didn't want him at the time. I still wanted to call the shots. I was prideful. You see, to the prideful, God has hidden his mind. But let her be Man's work cannot reveal it. You see, we, wanna, we live in a, a, a time where, where it's the rights of the people. We also live in a time of the Renaissance man, right? The self-made man. If you put your mind to it, man, there's nothing you can't accomplish. And, and, I, and we want our kids to feel that way, right? We want our kid, kids to believe that, look, if you work hard enough at something, you're going to be able to accomplish it. Look, when it gets harder than you thought it was going to be, if you just keep pushing, you're going to be able to accomplish it. If you put your mind to it, if you put your will to that thing, you're going to be able to pull it off. We want our kids to live that way, don't we? We, we want them to push through the difficult times. We want them to trust God through all of those things. But I just turned 40. And even though I thought it would be cool at one time to be you know, an NFL quarterback or something like that, I think only Tom Brady's able to pull that one off. Whether he cheated or did something to get there, I don't know what he did, but this body at 40? You know, the local, tech, you know, the local flag football team doesn't want me QB in for them. <laughs> there are things that doesn't matter how much I put my mind and my will toward. I understand at the age of 40 that some of those ships have sailed. <laughs> right? The, the bus has left the station and I'm still here, right? Why is it that we as, as human beings, we can accept some of those things once the lesson hurts enough every morning when you climb out of bed. <laughs> right? Okay, I get it. There's some things I can't do. Why is it, though, that we try to approach God's word differently than that? Why, why is it that we continue to push through our will on that one? We're going to figure this thing out on our own, but we'll be lazy in, in other things. We'll, we'll give in in other areas. Back in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verses 12 and 13, it says, We have received not the spirit of the world, which, 
but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words of which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. If we look over in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we see that in this realm of religion, of religious things, we think that we can, we can figure out the things that God has hidden, don't we? We think that by our works, we can satisfy God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, we think that, man, by, by determination, by will alone, we can satisfy God. Yeah, this body's broken down. There's some things that I can't do. But, but I think I can, I can be good enough to satisfy God. But he says, no, you can't work your way back in. You resisted me in pride. Humility's the only answer. If we read further, further in the passage that, that Paul first connected us to, Isaiah 64, two verses later it says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities or our sins like the wind have taken us away. You see, they were doing the same thing back then. God hid his truth, and they tried to, to get it back with their own righteousness. They tried to get it back with their, the best that they could muster, and God says, man, that's, that's filthy to me. That's not good enough. Another great all story in the, uh, the inspection department. I was in, in manufacturing engineering, so sorry, Corey. We called them inspection nerds, <laughs> um, the, the quality nerds. We loved them because we loved to pick on them, right? And so... In the quality department, there was a sign on the window that said, good enough never is. And I would walk by that and say, well, that's expensive. Right? Because that's, that's, what, that's what engineering thinks about quality. They just drive the costs up, right? Good enough never is. When you apply that to reaching God and satisfying God, good enough truly never is. You will never be good enough to satisfy God's perfect and holy requirement. He took care of it. You can't take credit for it. It's not by our works. We can't boast. There's nothing you can bring to the table. We're all as an unclean thing. Our attempts are not good enough. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man. It's, it's not our determination. It's not our works. It's not us that pulled this thing off in the first place. But the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Somebody else was in control, not them. No matter how hard we try, the best we can muster, it's more than we can accomplish. It's more than we can will. The Renaissance man cannot make himself holy, though he can make himself a lot of things. Holiness is not one of them. In good standing with God is not one of them. Because, let her see, man's wisdom always ends in foolishness. It's always the case. We saw this in, in recent weeks. We won't spend a whole lot of time here. Verse 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually 
discerned. Without spiritual discernment, without the Spirit of God giving you the judgment, the ability to judge between right and wrong, and wise and foolish, you think everything God says is foolish. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, its own wisdom, knew not God. They couldn't figure him out. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. Why, why do you stumble over something? It's because your eyes are closed. Because you can't see what God is saying. You stumble over it. It says, unto the Jews a stumbling block. They cannot see it. Under the Greeks, foolishness. They can't hear it. They won't hear it. Over and over and over, we've seen that, that God has hidden his truth. It's because their eyes are closed and their ears are dull. His truth can't even get to their hearts. But number two, the Spirit of God reveals it to us. I mean, what, a, what an incredible blessing to know that God is keeping these secrets close. But he's chosen to reveal those secrets to us. And we're not like Isaiah from, from the perspective, man, we're just waiting to see what this thing is. He said, but no, I've, I've revealed some things to you. Letter A, the Spirit is our teacher. Back in verse 9, God, God hid his truth. But check out the first word of verse 10. He says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Once we have become sons and daughters of God, we're able to see things that have been hidden from before the world. The Spirit of God is our connection to that revelation. I can remember people using this verse 9 to say, you know, that's talking about heaven, right? I hath not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for for those that love him, man, he's talking about heaven. The problem is, verse 10 says that he's revealed those things to us. And I still don't know what heaven looks like. It's not what it's talking about, right? Someday we're going to get to heaven, and I'm going to get to take care of, of the lions and the lambs. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, but it doesn't say that. That's not what it's talking about, right? That would be cool. One of my favorite verses that actually is connected is Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. What a promise that is. Psalm 119 is all about the psalmist's love for the word of God. From the perspective of the psalmist when they were writing this, you know how much of the word of God they had? They had Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. They had the law and a whole bunch of stories before the law. And this psalmist says, I'm beholding wondrous things out of thy law. When's the last time you read through there and said, wow. You know, what they do with the blood and the dip and the, that's wondrous. <laughs> no, it's wondrous that, that I keep my attention span as I'm going through some of those passages. I struggle personally, but no. The psalmist has such a connection with God, such a humble approach to God's word that the law 
reveals wondrous things to him. Man, I want that connection. Jesus was speaking to his disciples, referring to a soon approaching time in, in John 14. He says in verse 15, if, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the, the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. Jump down to verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Jesus wasn't going to stick around. We know the rest of the story. He was going to go to the cross. He was going to be crucified. He was going to die for our sins, be buried, raised victorious over those sins, and then go up to heaven and sit by the Father and prepare a place for us, whatever that may look like. In the meantime, the Comforter has been promised to dwell with us, to dwell in us who believe, to teach us, and to bring into remembrance the things that who said? Jesus, the Word of God. you look in verse or chapter John chapter 16 verse 13 he says howbeit when he the spirit of truth is come he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear what's he hearing he's hearing what the father and the son are talking about the deep things of God that he's been searching the spirit which is of God that that we might know or excuse me I, I skipped it but whatsoever he shall hear that shall that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. The Comforter will teach God's word and bring into remembrance what Christ has to say. The Spirit of truth will guide us into all truth, the word of God. Back in Second or 1 Corinthians 2, 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Man, we've got some incredible promises in God's word. Some incredible things that he has given to us for free. He has paid the price. He has bought you and I with that price. Did you notice in this verse that he uses a lowercase s for each time? You know, some people want to approach God's word and they want to correct it. And they say, man, that, that's a spirit which is of God. Shouldn't that be a capital S? Isn't that a... No, real quick... There are several occasions where God does this, and his word is perfectly preserved. He is fully capable of putting in his book what he means to put in his book, how he means to put in his book. And if you look at this verse, he says, not the spirit of the world, the movement of the world, the, the result of what the wisdom of this world produces, but the spirit which is of God. Another way to say that is the spiritual things that he's been talking about, but the grammar doesn't really fit to say, but the spiritual things, which is of God. Right? It's the Spirit of God. The, the capital S Spirit is the third person of God, the Trinity, right? It's a name, it's a title, it's capital, because it's a person. This lowercase Spirit is what he produces. The Spirit produces spiritual results. The Spirit 
produces spirit. If, if you look in John chapter 3, it's probably best explained here. Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, what? What are you talking about, man? The, am I supposed to climb back into my mom's womb and, and be born again? That doesn't make any sense. This is kind of like those parables that Jesus was talking about earlier, right? In verse 5, he says, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, capital S, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That's the water, the physical birth. That which is born of spirit is lowercase s, spirit. What the capital S, spirit, third person of the Trinity, produces is spiritual. Spirit. There's no need to go in and try and correct God's word. It's preserved. He said what he said. He meant what he said. Use the Spirit of God to teach you. How does he teach us? Letter B, the Spirit uses the Bible to define itself. You don't need a college professor to tell you what the Bible meant to say in the oldest manuscripts. God is capable of preserving his word, and he's done it. 1 Corinthians 2.13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, because we know that's only foolishness, right? But which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. This is, this is probably one of the most pivotal verses in all of Scripture to tell us how is it that we study this book. How do I study God's Word? Well, he says compare spiritual things with spiritual. What does that mean? He he contrasts what the world has to offer. He says, not the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Not man's words, but God's words. The Holy Ghost's words. These spiritual things that he's talking about are, are the very words of God. That's the mind of Christ. How do you learn what God has to say? You compare spiritual things with spiritual. You, you compare Scripture with Scripture. You compare what the Spirit has revealed to you to what the Spirit has already revealed. It came by the Holy Ghost, right? It only makes sense that he's the one that teaches us because he's the one that prompted it to begin with. The things that enter the eye, the things that enter the ear, the things that change your heart are spiritual words. It's the mind of Christ. If we look in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, that would be man's wisdom, we have not followed that when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They saw with their eyes, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. There came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And his voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy is of any private interpretation. It doesn't come from man's wisdom. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. We already saw this, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Peter says they were eyewitnesses. They got to see. We've been seeing this eyes and ears and heart come up over and over and over, haven't we? 
We, can, we were eyewitnesses and saw Christ in His majesty. They got to hear with their own ears the voice, the audible voice of God say, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And they said after that experience that this is more sure than what we saw with our eyes and heard with our own ears. This book is preserved. This book is perfect. And it is more sure than what these guys saw and heard in person when the God and creator of all the universe parted heaven and spoke about his son, whose flesh was peeled back and glory revealed. The book that God has left us is more sure than that. Matthew 13, again, the whole chapter is is all about parables. In verse 16, he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily, truly, I say unto you that, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. And he's going to go on and explain the meaning behind the parable he's already taught them. If we look in verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away. He's, he's gone through, I think, five parables by this point. He sent the multitude away and, and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. You're, you're telling stories, and, and I know before when, when we said, Hey, why'd you shift and start doing the parable thing? He said, Oh, because I'm, I'm only expecting you guys to understand it. And they're like, Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah, we got it. Yeah, you know, if I'm there, I'm like, hey, John, did you, do you have any idea what he's talking about? He said we're supposed to know, but I don't know what he's talking about. What did it take for them to come up to him after he shared parable after parable after parable? And he said, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, uh, no, don't. Man, the humility that it must have taken to approach God in human flesh to say, hey, you said something was true and I, I don't know what you mean. Can you help me out with that? You know what they just did? The word of God had revealed some things to them that they didn't fully understand, so what did they do? They went back to the word of God, Jesus Christ, and asked for some further clarification. They compared spiritual things with spiritual, didn't they? And they didn't even know they did it. That's awesome. That brings us to letter C. The Spirit provides discernment. The Spirit provides discernment. 1 Corinthians 2.15 But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of, of no man. You know, a crazy thing happens when you give your life to Christ and he starts making changes on the inside of you. Your friends start to distance themselves from you. And they start to call you things like judgmental and holier than thou and a Bible beater. Right? They start calling you those things because they think you're judging them. But you're not trying to. It's just your life that's doing it. Because we know we're not supposed to be judgmental. We're not, we're not supposed to be condemning. John 7, 24 says, Judge not according to the appearance, 
but judge righteous judgment. Scripture definitely instructs us not to be hypocritical, not to be condemning, not to be judgmental of things people can't help, or not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, because Christ has cleaned you up, and he hasn't cleaned them up yet. You didn't do any of that. We know we're not supposed to judge in that manner. But this is talking about discernment. This judgment is discernment. This is speaking of leveraging God's word to make decisions in your life. Being spiritual, as it says, and tapping into the searching of God's word that the Spirit has already done to give you the ability to make wise choices. And when you do that, that convicts other people. You don't have to think. You're not supposed to think. If you're actually being spiritual, you're not going to think poorly about anybody else. You're just going to say, well, God said it, and I believe it, so I'll do that. I'll agree with that. And he changes my heart when I do that. But he doesn't change somebody he's hidden the truth from. So my life judges. He says, judge not. Or, or, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. What is the, the wisdom of this world capable of judging you in? <laughs> if, if we're wrong in this whole thing of Christ, and they're right, and it's just evolution, and then we turn into dirt, and that's it. Man, what a terrible existence I've had being fully purposed <laughs> in the Lord and satisfied walking with him. And, and loving him, and knowing that I'm loved. And, and if none of that's real, and I've lived this, this life of contentment and joy, and had a beautiful family to share that with, well, boy, I really missed out, didn't I? I mean, what a shame that crutch held me up my entire life, and I didn't know I was just going to turn into dirt. No. You can't judge my life. Your wisdom has nothing on what Christ has offered me. Nothing whatsoever. My life judges yours because I'm just following the book. It's not what I say. It's not how I say it. I just want to please him. Your life can't judge mine because you have no wisdom there. You don't have the mind of Christ giving you instruction. That's what he's talking about. And Solomon understood this. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? Solomon knew that, man, that's above my pay grade, God, but you've called me to do it. I need some help. I need some help discerning good and bad. I need to help judging these people. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick, it's alive, and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder and soul, or of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This book, God said, is like a two-edged sword, and he cuts right through all of your garbage. Right to your heart. Unless you're prideful unless you won't hear what he has to say, unless you won't see what he has to show you. He, he, wants, to, he wants to change your heart. We're going to wrap up with a few verses. Just keep your stuff 
Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What a blessing. We have the mind of Christ. We have an incredible book, don't we? It's, It's more than a book. This is the mind of Christ. You want to get into Christ's mind and you're not getting into this? You're not getting into his words? Well, you, you're not going to understand. You, you want to get into God's mind, into Christ's mind, and, and you don't want to hear what he has to tell you? It's just words on a page. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 is one of my favorite verses. He's talking about the, the Thessalonian church. He says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. You know, when I, when I think of you Thessalonians, this is Paul speaking, I can't stop rejoicing. I can't, I can't stop thanking God for you. Why is that? Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as, it, as the word of men or the wisdom of men. How did they receive it? Check this out. But as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. If you're new here, there's something you need to know about us. Our church in next month is going to turn 160 years old. That's not what you need to know about us. The, the, the reason this church is going to turn 160 years old is not because we're so awesome or that we're 160 years old and we've just stuck it out, right? We're going to turn 160 years old because this church has always strived to be like the Thessalonians. And we strive to believe God's word as it is in truth, the word of God. Not a book that contains some of the words of God. You know that the college professors tell me, well, you can take those pages out because that's not in the oldest manuscripts. No, we we have a book not with the words of God, a book that is the mind of Christ, the word of God. It's perfect. It's holy, it's preserved. And when you approach it the way the Thessalonians approached it, it goes to work inside of us. He says, as it is in truth, the word of God, we don't, we like to call this a a faith-based view of scripture. Because we're, we're placing our faith in what he says. When you begin to look at God's word that way, The verse says that it effectually worketh also in you that believe. That word effectually means it has its intended effect. The intended outcome that God's word has, what God is intending for you to receive, is a changed heart. Because you're going to see these words with your eyes and you're going to hear the words that I'm preaching at you right now. And he wants that to get into here. He wants that to change what's inside. He wants it to effectually work. And all you got to do is believe. God intends that you see and hear his word and it changes your heart. That's what getting into the mind of Christ will do for you. One last verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord... When you look in this mirror, 
you're going to see some things. You're going to see that you're not as attractive as you thought you were. You're not as righteous as you thought you were. Your good works and good looks aren't going to achieve anything. But you're going to see the glory of the Lord. He says you're going to be changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord takes the word of the Lord. They always work together. They always agree. And when you submit humbly, they always change you. And you're going to be, he says, changed into that same image. See, what it does is it it shows you you. It shows you Christ. And when you humbly submit to that, you don't have to walk away feeling sorry for yourself that you'll never be him. Because that doesn't matter. Because all you're going to want to do is see Christ again. Because it's not about you. It never has been. It's always been about him. Getting into the mind of Christ isn't so that we can know cool stuff. Getting into the mind of Christ is so that the mind of Christ gets inside of us. And we start thinking the way he thinks. And we start seeing people the way he sees people. And we start preaching the gospel. Because man, I don't want to be the only one that knows this. Because we is better than me. It's a community. Now some of you are here today and and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have the opportunity to change that. Romans tells us that, that if we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died, he, he was buried, he, he rose again, if we believe the gospel and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we shall be saved. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? The penalty of your sins. That's the born again thing that, that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. He will begin to reveal his truth to you through his spirit. And some of us are here today, we, we know that we know. Right? We, we got it. It's not fire insurance. I, I gave my life to Christ. His spirit has come to live inside of me. But some time ago, I stopped hearing. And I stopped seeing and I read his word all the time, and you're talking about, man, you get in that book, and it gets into your heart, and it changes you, and that hasn't happened for a long time. Why is that? Or maybe you're here, and, man, all the decisions I've made lately just keep ending up a mess. I know better, but I just keep making selfish, prideful decisions, and, and they keep hurting people, and they keep hurting myself, and I can't figure it out. It's pride, isn't it? Because when we allow him to say what he wants to say, what is true, we allow him to actually show us what we truly look like in the mirror, he goes to work to make us look like the other guy that we see in this mirror, Jesus Christ. So some of us need to today, we need to humble ourselves. And you, you know what that is. You know what that takes. God is trying to get you to understand. Maybe you need to humble yourself, and when we sing our last song, you need to come down front and, and just get on your knees so that everybody else can see that you got issues with God. That's not the reason you do it. 
but you can humble yourself. Maybe you need to humble yourself and forgive somebody who you think don't, doesn't deserve it. That takes humility. And God softens your heart when that happens. Maybe you need to humble yourself and cry out to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior today. The band's going to come up now. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much, as always, for your word, for its guidance, for the ability you have to cut through all of the junk in our lives, all of the distractions, all of everything we have going on that, that keeps us resisting you. Lord, I pray that you've done that today. I pray that you've cut through all the distractions and that you're speaking to our hearts, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, that 